afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, your comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I am classic Pat Francis. I'm uh, new and improved Gary Lucy. Producer Matt Belknap here. And, uh, Coming excited. straight to you, breaking the seal on our new digs. Yeah. I know, this is we're in the brand new studio. This is uh, the first record for Rock Solid. Yeah. I think Never Not Funny recorded here already, correct? This morning, yeah. All right. So, and when it's does got that, that Pardo stench still. <laughs> when does that episode go up? It will be already up when you hear this. Damn it. Oh, it will have gone up Monday. It. All right. Are that's you sorry. sure? Yes. Let's, can't we put this up in, in right after we're done? <laughs> just <laughs> Why, to, just Why to, would that matter? I don't know. I think it would, I <laughs> just, think it would just make, want to be... I think, it would make Jimmy, I think it would make Jimmy mad. It would, yeah. Not like it matters, but uh, who was the guest on that show? Though? Harlan Williams was the guest. It's pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. If you like that sort of thing. <laughs> right, no, so now you're now we're having a <laughs> Well, it's just if you have to have a guest or anything for your first show at a new place. Yeah, this one's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. This one's, uh... No, Harlan's awesome, but I think we might have him trumped. I think we have him trumped. Yeah. Gary, you have some business you want to discuss before we uh, oh, bring uh, our guest in? I was going to play some phone calls, but you know what? I don't think we have those clued in, queued up, but you know what? Maybe we'll put them in later or maybe we'll just play them next time. All right. And maybe we'll just get to the damn thing. All right. Well, then should let's we, should uh, we drop them. Well, I can drop them in later, but we could pause for one and second. And act like they're going in and now. And then pretend like we just yes. heard them all. Okay. Is that cool? All right, Pat, Matt, and Gary. That's just because that's the way it works. Hey, Rich here. I have an interesting idea. What about songs about against censorship, like uh, Judas Priest, Parental Guidance, or Megadeth Fucking Mouth? Yeah, I know, heavy metal. But I thought uh, John Denver and Frank Zappa wrote some songs about that during the PMRC, too. So I thought it might make an interesting subject matter after a day of catching up on Rock Solids. Out. Hi, Gary and Pat. Uh, this is Ed from Kansas. And I, was calling, I had a couple of recommendations uh, from some of my favorites from last year. Uh, I think that uh, Gary might like one of my favorite albums last year was uh, Royal Headache. Royal Headache was a uh, kind of garage rock band from Australia. Uh, the singer sort of sounds like an old uh, soul uh, soul guy. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's unique. And it, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, I know you like things like Cheap Trick, one of the big uh, power pop releases this year, according to those people who like that kind of stuff, uh, was the album Kurt Baker. Hey guys, it's Jeff in San Jose. Just want to say I loved the last podcast with uh, Mr. Greg Kinn. 
And uh hope you guys keep up uh the musical guests. I know easier easier said than done, but uh would love to see you guys continue to uh get some more folks like that on the show. Uh keep it up and look forward to uh the next podcast. Cheers. Man, those were some good phone calls. And it's funny that uh, that last guy, I think Joe from San Jose, or Jeff from San Jose, was excited when we have guests because we have an extra special guest. We have a guest today. Uh, he's in town to do a couple shows here, and uh, he's going to be at uh, the Troubadour this coming Thursday. That'll be a week after this airs, folks. <laughs> you missed it. I, I will have seen it, but you'll have missed it. And uh, our guest today is uh, Mr. Marshall Crenshaw. Hello, Marshall. Hello, fellas. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Solid. This is very exciting to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad you feel that way about it. <laughs> how how are you? Uh, how are you liking LA this time around? I'm liking it. it uh, it's um, let me see. It's it hasn't been that long since I was here last, but I'm kind of out in uh, parts of it that I'm not familiar with. I, I really haven't gotten my bearings yet since I came here, but I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting right with the driving thing. Uh, you know, very aggressive driving <laughs> here, but I don't have a. I, I just I can go into that mode if i have to and there's a little little wetness on the road here and when that happens here it's like a, a blizzard yeah, on the east people coast people it. don't know how to drive when yeah. it's raining out here well that's the other thing is the weather's been a little uh dicey since i got here strangely yeah it's not it's not when you come to la you always expect it to be sunny and, and warm yeah and when it's not you're like ah, this is bullshit we get weather here we get weather <laughs> that's right yeah I, but i like being here you know i have lots of friends in los angeles and uh I don't know. It's, uh, this morning I went to – a funny thing happened. Um, a week ago Saturday I played a gig with a, a guy named Jimmy Vivino who's the sure. band director on the Conan O'Brien show. And I've known him forever. I've known yeah. him since day one. And he and I played together at this thing called the Rockabilly Ramble <laughs> a week ago Saturday. This That was at Levon Helm's Barn. Wow. And that was a really fun show. And uh, – so then Tuesday, you know, a couple of days after that, I, I hit the road. I drive out here when I come so I can bring all my own gear and have it right in my sight and at, within reach at all times. I hate dealing with gear in airports and on planes and so forth. So I'm I'm driving. I stopped in Santa Fe and had some food with some friends of mine. I got about an hour west of Santa Fe, and I'm sitting in a, in traffic. The, the The traffic has come to a standstill. Uh, because of a, two semi trucks that it actually, I mean, I saw the wreckage later on. It was dreadful, you know. Ooh. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and the phone rang, and it was Jimmy Vivino, and uh, so I picked it up because I wasn't moving, and he, I thought he was saying, "I have your strap, and you have mine," <laughs> but then a minute later, I realized he was saying, "I have your strat, and you oh. have mine," uh -oh. and it was like that. Was, uh, it really. Like was like a punch in the guts, you know. So because, a, little, a little worse than a strap. <laughs> it was. It was a big thing, you know. Because uh, again, I'm driving because I want to have my gear with me, right. and plus the guitar that he had, it was, it was like it wasn't just any one of my guitars. It was like this guitar is me, you know. Wow. And uh, I've had it since 1972. So anyway, <laughs> did, you, did you make a U-turn? What happened was I got over the shock of the yeah. news about two hours later and realized that he was probably going to be in L.A. this week, huh. and I was too. So, you know, he brought huh. the thing out. I went over this morning and picked it up from him on the soundstage over at War on the Warner lot and uh, saw a bunch of guys there that I know from New York and New Jersey who are now out here with the Conan band and... You know, that's like just kind of nice stuff. Well, home well, weekend, did he uh, take good care of Betsy or uh, whatever her name is? He did. What, what, can I ask what he is really her name? Did. 
Uh, Mike, it, it doesn't have a name, okay, but you know, right. you uh, yeah, yeah, it was all good, and he's that's a great nice. guy. Uh, that's funny because uh, the uh, the other podcast that comes out of here, the award winning Never Not Funny, is hosted by Jimmy Pardo, who also works over at the Conan Show, so he knows. He knows oh. La Bamba and he knows... We could have brought knows. it, is what we're saying. Yeah. We could have saved your trip, but <laughs> at least you saw this guy. here for you. <laughs> yeah. Related to Don Pardo? No, he's not, but everyone asks him that. Of course. So, of course... He yeah. should have been. Yeah, he seems <clears> like <throat> it, if you ever see him. But, uh, yeah, that's... Um, so, and you drive, you drive out here from... Where do you, where do you reside now? I live in uh, New York State. So, you drove from New York the whole way across country. I did. I so, left on Tuesday. So, anytime I've seen you perform in Los Angeles, you've driven out here. Maybe not. I just kind of started this whole thing okay. uh, a, a few years ago just because I've had too many bad experiences dealing with gear in airports if I'm traveling alone. It's just something I particularly hate. I don't I don't really like flying that much either or airports. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've become like a road trip kind of guy. Well, there's never been a better time to drive a lot with gas prices. That's right. <laughs> nah. that's, that's true. So that's good. So, um, that going for you. so how much gear do you bring with you when you're driving on your own? Well, on this tour, I have... All the shows with Dave Alvin. You're yeah. playing with Dave Alvin at the I'm playing with Dave week. Alvin. Wow, We're wow. touring together. Yeah, so I need you know band gear for that. And then on the way back, I have some solo shows in the West, mm-hmm. and it's different gear for the solo shows. So it's two guitars and no four guitars and two amps. So and are you are you going to be show. with? Are you playing with a band at the Dave Alvin shows? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. It's really Dave's tour. You know, yeah. Like his management organized it, and it's his band. Uh, but I. You know, I had my second rehearsal with them today. They're great. Awesome. We're gonna. It's gonna be a really decent show. Well, this will. Get, that's gonna be exciting for me because I have not seen you with a band since 1987. Wow. I saw you at oh a God. club in Pittsburgh called Graffiti's. <laughs> oh. And in the middle of the set, the bass drum broke. What? I remember that night. I really do. And your drummer, you guys just while they fixed it, the drummer just played drums on a couple of stools. And yeah. you guys just went with it. I remember continued. that we kind of had fun with the whole thing. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool. But then since then, I've only seen you solo acoustic at McCabe's, and yeah. I also saw you at uh, saw you at someone's house in Box Canyon. Oh, you were at that thing? Yes, <laughs> <Okay>. that thing. <laughs> well, you know, no, I, I, I don't mean it that way. I know. But yeah, you were there. I was. Uh, I looked on your website. I'm looking. I always, you know, any artist I like, I look for tour dates. So I see that you're in Box Canyon. I didn't even know where that was. So I did a Google map. I'm like, oh, that's eight miles from my house. What is? Uh. And it took me a while to find out where it was. And then I finally got a hold of the, the gentleman. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's my house. I go, <laughs> Marshall Crenshaw's playing at your house? He goes, yeah, yeah, it's a thing I do. And we raise some money for charity. Do you want to come? I go, oh, okay. And he goes, it's 20 bucks. All right. Great. So I drive there. So I tell my wife, hey, I'm driving out to this guy's house to see Marshall Crenshaw. And uh, the whole time driving out, I think it's going to end up being a, a, like a Pulp Fiction thing. I'm going to get out there, and it's, there's no show. And I'm going like to be a swinger a, scene. Yeah, I'm gonna be, or I'm going to be a human sacrifice yeah, at yeah. some point. <laughs> but I pull up, and sure enough, uh, the guy's got a stage set up out back and wow. food and chairs. And, and Marshall was up on the, uh, on the patio having probably, I don't know, water. It's a house concert. Yeah, it's a house that's concert. That's a thing now. You know? Yeah, and it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty damn cool. That's cool. That was fun. Yeah. Speaking so, of house concerts, you really like uh, – uh, kind of paved the way of that a little bit, huh? And, and kind of the s- subscription service thing, and you're you're sort of like finding new ways to make your way in the uh, as the as the music business uh, grows and changes. And uh, uh, yeah, that's just a recent thing uh-huh. um, that that finally came to fruition. I had the idea maybe like two and a half years ago, and I uh, just kind of stumbled forward with it for a while, and now finally it's a real thing. 
and that's just uh it's a recording project you know mm-hmm. i made an album in 2009 decided after that that i didn't ever want to do it again in that manner you know what i mean yeah but i mean i've been doing my the way my mind is wired it's just i make recordings i make i make records that's what i do you know sure. and uh but i i just wanted to think of a different way of doing it one that would you know like really motivate me and uh, so I came up with this idea of a, like a subscription thing. It actually wasn't an original idea. I kind of stole the idea. I read that this gal, Sam Phillips, is doing something sure, similar. Yeah. But uh, I decided to emphasize vinyl with my ah. subscription series. So it's it's a new vinyl record every you know four or five months. And uh, the first one's out. I really love it. It's a very cool object. And uh, the art direction is really excellent, and uh, the music is nice too. So the first one's out. The second one comes out on April twenty eighth. The third one will come out sometime, you know, a few months after that. So to you young people listening out there, that's the scam. And so uh, build a fan base for like thirty years, right? And then, then ching. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, that's right. Start, start, <laughs> that's how you do it. So the um, uh, the first one, it's got uh, it's got. Uh, an original tune. Uh, I don't see you laughing now. That's correct. Yeah. Then you did a cover of a Jeff Lynne, a Move song. A Move song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm a big Jeff Lynne fan, and I and I like the Move, but I I'd never heard that song before. Oh well, let me tell you, so, so um, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then and then you had a live cut on there. That's right. Well, the idea that with the with that is 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 that there'll be, you know, like a reworked version of one mm-hmm. of my old songs you know one that stood the test of time you might say and will that be the pattern for the uh, next releases and a new one a cover and a live track yeah i was nodding before when you (laughs) (laughs) nodding on the radio but yeah that's that's the template for the whole thing should we hear some of that yeah let me play a little of uh i don't see you laughing now on rock Mm -hmm. salad here we go a tower of glass shining in the sunlight With every floor desolate and bare Nothing is left of all the sound and fury Of money and lies that went on in there And this was your own brilliant invention A fool's paradise of your own That awesome. is, I don't see you laughing now, and uh, and also, Marshall, you did a you did a Kickstarter. Yeah, we did subscription thing uh, to do this, and uh, it worked out for you. It did. That was really quite nice. Did it come down to the wire? Was it close? Well, it was just kind of languishing, you know, for a while, uh-huh. and I started to worry a little bit. But then, when it all was said and done, I thought, well, there was it was kind of unnecessary for me to worry really because it, it, it went it went swell you know it really did yeah i always i always find that when people do kickstarter it's like uh a lot of people be like oh yeah i'm gonna do I'm, I'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that and then they they wait and wait and then the last minute boom everyone just starts yeah doing it, it did kind of go like that that's pretty but cool. i was so pleased i mean i just really wanted to do this project and uh and you know now i'm doing it 
I always like to wait till the last minute, like on PBS Pledge Drive or something. So I, <laughs> I feel more heroic. You got to keep Downton Abbey on the air, <laughs> <Yeah>. Gary. <laughs> or to start killing more people. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the beginning. The, the, how did Marshall Crenshaw, uh, how did you get started? I know, um, I know that your, uh, your first single was uh, Something's Gonna Happen. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was for Alan, uh, how do you say it, Betrocks? Alan Betrock, yeah. And who is Alan Betrock? Because I don't know. Alan Betrock is uh, no longer walking the earth, but uh, he was a kind of a mover and shaker on the New York rock scene, you might say, in the 1970s. He started a, a rock magazine called New York Rocker, sure. which was a great magazine. Uh, and he produced some records. He produced the first recordings by Blondie. Wow. Uh-huh. He he was uh you know he really wanted to go down that road and be a record mm-hmm. producer. Um, he did my first record, and he did the Smithereens first record. He did some records with Richard Hell and Tom Verlaine. Sweet, you know, just a lot of he he just sort of like he was involved in a lot of stuff that that kind of broke later on. You know, he was in on the ground floor of a lot of cool things. He's a very passionate music fan. Uh, really sweet guy. Extra lovable kind of guy um i wish he was still around i'll tell you that but uh anyway it was a real lucky thing when i crossed paths with him because uh you know he did open that door in my life he Uh put out that first record of mine and he didn't just put it out he actually hired a promo guy to work it in new york and it it all things just really fell together nicely surrounding that record because right at the same moment i had a song covered by uh, Robert Gordon. It was actually Someday, Some Way, which I was later forced to record myself. <laughs> but uh, Is that true? You did not want to re- record? I didn't want to do it. No, the label, and, and that, was a, that was a brand new concept to me, that the label said, well, you know, I refuse to do it, and my refusal was not accepted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how it went. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, well, I, well like so that. there you go. So I did it. But anyway, um, Robert Gordon's version was a big hit in New York, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, uh, that m- meant that radio stations were open to my record, which was on an indie label, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that it just was like a real convergence of stuff all, all, all at that time. But I'd been playing guitar since I was a child, been interested in rock and roll since I was a little child. That was due to the influence of my dad. He was like, back in, I was born in 1953, and back when I was a kid, you know, like the only parent that I knew who didn't despise rock and roll was my dad, and he loved it. <laughs> my dad grew up in a black neighborhood, right? Now, so you are hail from Detroit, right? Yeah, I'm from the Detroit area. Okay. <laughs> I never actually lived in the city of Detroit, but I was born there in the hospital. <laughs> I was I was surprised. I, I watched that Eagles documentary over uh-huh. the weekend, and I had no idea Glenn Frey was from Detroit, and that... Uh, Bob Seger like gave him a big leg up. Did Bob Seger ever help you? That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> I never met Bob Seger. Oh, no, <laughs> no. I, and I did speak to Glenn Fry on the phone one time. What was that about? Well, uh, <laughs> he was producing, co-producing a record by a, a woman named Luann Barton. Yeah, yeah. Who's an Austin, Texas blues uh, chantuzzi, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, Glenn Fry and Jerry Wexler produced her first album. I just got on the phone with him. Boy, those they wanted, guys. They did a song of mine, is what, is oh, okay. what I, the part that I left out. <laughs> and it was her first single. And he had a question about the, the way I'd recorded the guitar on my demo. 
and uh, he said he liked the sound. And I said, well, I just put a microphone in front of the amp. You know, and, <laughs> Got it. Thanks. So that was it. Yeah. It was, but anyway, that was I had this conversation with him on the phone. He, did, he in the documentary he recreates a conversation on the phone not with Marshall Crenshaw but with uh, Don Felder's manager. Oh, he's like, "You tell that asshole if he doesn't sign by sundown, he's out of the Eagles." And then I went click. You know, I love it when people oh, like man. recreate their angry wow. phone calls. I mean, he seems like he's got a lot of anger. Both of those guys, Glenn Fry, Glenn Fry, and, and Don, uh, Henley. Don Henley. Yeah, yeah, they don't seem like they would be. I don't know, nice. Nice, <laughs> but then, but full, be, full of themselves. Be or? that as it may, but but it was a very musical area. You uh, you know, it was Hitsville. USA. Oh, yeah, a ton I mean, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, the Detroit area, definitely. I, I actually want to drop in. Uh, we got to play a little bit of Marshall's first single called Something's Going to Happen. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah let's hear that. I'm sorry. This is amazing. That great urgency, but uh, with like uh, with that croon over the top of it. It's like, Marshall was not wearing headphones in the studio. It's almost like I've heard it. I don't need, I don't need, I do not need to hear the, the music anymore. Um, what? Uh, and then and then, tell us a little bit about uh, Beatlemania. Oh, all right. Let's see, Beatlemania. I decided sometime in 1977 to get out of the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. It was like the first big pragmatic thing that I ever did in my life. Maybe the only pragmatic thing I'd done in my life up to that point. But I just realized that I was I was done. I was tired of my surroundings. Needed to get out. I mean, I could talk about the gigs I was doing in Detroit at the time. They were just really pathetic. I had I just had 175 <laughs> reasons that I needed to leave. So I did. And uh, I came out here. Oh, here's what. I'll just tell this. Like, I, I ran into this friend of mine that I'd gone to high school with. We used to play together, you know, jam in basements and stuff. And I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. I said, Ron, where, where you been, man? And he goes, I've been living in Los Angeles for the past couple years. And I divide my time between there and, and Alaska. I'm in a bar band up in Alaska. And we might need a guitar player. Uh, and I, I said, when are you going back? And he said, uh, two weeks. And I said, great, I'll go. So that was all it took. It was one guy just saying one little <laughs> innocuous thing to me like that. And I got, I got out, you know. And Sometimes uh, that's all, I need. I, that's all, yeah. I, all you need. You just need one guy. guy yeah, that, it was, that's it. So I, I left and I, I went west. I came here. It sort of didn't take hold, you know, like I didn't find any sort of permanence, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I wound up joining a band that played on the road in the west for like, I was I was on that kind of circuit with this with this band for about six seven months. Little towns in the West, you know, two weeks in Rock Springs, Wyoming, and three weeks in Elko, Nevada, that kind of thing. You're playing cover songs, country music, country music. country music bar band, yeah. And uh, in the middle of all that, I just saw a classified ad in Rolling Stone for Beatlemania auditions or or you know tape submissions or mm-hmm. whatever. And then I got back to the Detroit area around Christmas time, and I just did that. And, and, you, and you were you were you were John Lennon. I was the, the, uh, you know I was um, there were three companies when I joined. 
there was a West Coast company. There was it was still running on Broadway at the Winter Garden Theater. Mm-hmm. There was just a, t- a touring company just starting, and then there was like a gaggle of understudies. So that my first you know gig with them was was part of the gaggle of understudies, and it was very competitive, <laughs> very weird, and it was odd, you know. But I, I liked it. It was all brand new. I was in New York for the first time. I fell in love with New York on first sight. And uh, that really was, you know, it was huge, a big turning point. And was, um, do you, now what's the process for that? Do you, do you have to mimic John Lennon? Do you have to, I mean, I guess you have to sound like him. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was the idea, you know, it was, um, people were supposed to be able to squint their eyes and think that they were seeing the Beatles, (laughs) you know. And and people liked it, you know, they really... Yeah, you wore the Sergeant Pepper outfits, and you yep. wore the, the the whole bit, the, the whole, costume the, changes, and everything. And uh, you probably I, did a fair amount of dress up as the Beatles. Like as a kid, it must have been pretty mind blowing. You know, you probably played the tennis racket or something. You know, seeing that Sullivan show and all that. Well, stuff. I was already playing guitar. Yeah. Oh, okay, by the time they came along, uh-huh. but yes, no, it's exactly like you say. Like yeah. I remember kids just gathering in groups and pretending to be the <laughs> Beatles. It was, it, it's crazy to to realize and think back on how big they were it's it's unbelievable yeah because n- n- nothing like that's ever going to happen again well my kids dance around and pretend they're taylor swift so one direction i guess that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. yeah <laughs> is people running around dressing up like one direction no probably not did you uh did you know you could you could mimic john lennon at the time or did you just did you have to learn uh, that well i you know i knew their music right and um I did the best I could. I was I was really not a good fake Beatle. My heart, <laughs> my heart wasn't in it. You know, I, it was really exciting at first. Yeah, but I, I got completely sick of it very quickly, and I actually got chewed out a couple times for not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, I got chewed out once by this. Like, hey Crenshaw, imagine that you give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the gist of it. But actually, it, the, the the message came in the in the form of this like diva shouting thing that the production stage manager was (laughs) doing to me. And I did not like it, you know? And, uh, and then a couple months after that, the musical director who was a good friend of mine still is came up to me and gave me the same message, but politely. Okay. But the thing was, I was just then ready to bail out. And I did the next day. And he came over. He came over after he heard that I gave my notice. He said, well, I didn't mean to, I said, no, Andy, it was already in the cards. No problem. You know? So that's kind of how it went. I, got right. out, I was in it for about two years. And then full circle, Jimmy Vivino's got that crazy Beatle project that he does. What's that? Oh, yeah. yeah well, that's are, a good thing because yeah. it's not a minstrel show. <laughs> you know? They just play the music and they, right. play, they, they play the hell out of it. Yeah, know? it's amazing. Yeah, they don't do the wigs and all that. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> you can make a good buck doing that, though. <laughs> yeah, people always want to hear the Beatles. They do. I mean, it's... Uh, I've actually seen some Beatle tribute bands that I liked a lot. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't want to... Yeah, that's a, good, that's a fun YouTube rabbit hole. Like, look, look at, <laughs> oh, at, at the Russian terrible. Beatle bands and the oh, Japanese my. ones and stuff. I've never but done that. You mentioned uh, you were in a country band. You curated the most amazing uh, compilation back in the late 80s that uh, country... Was it called Country Music? Thank God. It's called Hillbilly Music. Hillbilly thank Music. God. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that that is the uh, that's the first place I ever heard twice the loving and half the time. Oh yeah. But yeah. yeah, that was. Now, is there ever going to be a part two? I know we're about twenty three years in, but I, I got to hear it. No, there won't. I wish uh, there would, was going to be, but the, the label that I did it for was short lived, uh, and the guy who ran the label is now way out of the music business. He's retired. Uh-huh. Lives in Ireland, and <laughs> so no. It won't be, but it was so much fun, and people do, you know, people that know that record, 
I always hear like really uh, enthusiastic stuff from people that know it. It's such a treasure trove. It's such a good jumping off point of like, yeah, kind of the West Coast hillbilly and swinging. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I I wrote liner notes for it that I'm not proud of at all. But but the music (laughs) musically, it's a killer. I think you know, song wise, it's just it's it's just a like a brick wall of greatness. You know. Awesome. A brick wall of greatness. That's pretty cool. No one's ever said that about me. Yeah. They've called me a brick wall, but not of greatness. I'm a nerf ball of greatness. I just you know? came up with that right now yeah, on the right. top, off the top of my head. Uh, well, you know what? I uh, got to play a little bit of Someday, Someday. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. you, you have to. Go right ahead. Okay. Here we go. Sounds like this. Now, it's, it was funny hearing you talking about this, your relationship with this song before with Robert Gordon, like you were a little bit indifferent to it, but to, in my imagination, to create something so enduring and beautiful as this, that like, it just has stood the test of time. What do, how do, how, how do you feel about Someday, Someway? I, I like it. I, I really do. <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, really a nice record. And I, you know, I have vivid memories of doing it. We, we um, recorded at the record plant in New York in Studio A and we did I don't know like maybe 30 takes of the rhythm track and the only part that was meant to be kept from the rhythm track was the bass and the drums that's the way that they want the producer wanted us to track it and uh, I just was I just thought no 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 I had this I, I was it was really hardcore at the time and I just had to have a particular thing to it or i wasn't going to be satisfied and then we went in the next day thinking that we had not gotten it and uh, the assistant engineer had kind of put a star next to (laughs) next to take 21 okay you know and uh he put it up and played a little bit of it and i I said take everything out except the drums and so we listened to just the drums and sure enough my brother just killed it you know that beautiful swing thing that it has and it was just that one take that was great all the way through. So we used that. I put everything else on it myself. I, I played the bass and all the guitars and did the background. No, the bass player helped me with the background vocals. Anyway, you know, it's nice. I, I just, I had a, I, I had a really clear sense about a sense of direction about everything, you know, the sleigh bells and the right amount of echo on the sleigh bells and everything. You know, the only thing that kind of makes me grimace about it is the lead vocal. Because <laughs> they put this microphone in front of me at, called an AKG 414, which hates my voice, and I hate that microphone. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and, and quibbling aside, I do I do like the record a lot. It's, I think it feels great. You know, that's yeah, the one mean, thing I, I sometimes I may have you know little nitpicky complaints about stuff that I've done. But what I usually find when I listen to some of it is that the, it always feels pretty nice. You know, it just kind of draws you in that way you know yeah i still love albums and that is that's that's a start to finish great album your first album i really that's just a fun listen i mean that's Mm -hmm. to me that's the summer as soon as the sun comes out you put that in you 
put the top down. I don't have a convertible, but, um, <laughs> but that's what, uh, Are that's you? what it means to take his two payoff. I have a question about, uh, about, uh, you're my favorite waste of time. Okay. So that was, is there, is there actually, has there ever been a, a, a finished version of that? No, that the one that I made in my apartment in Pelham is the only one. And was that, if, that up I for consideration done. for the first album? No, it was this guy at Warner Brothers, and I think it was Bob Merlis, who was a really good pal of mine. Although that might not be right, but anyway, somebody came <laughs> up with the somebody came up with the idea of putting a non-LP B-side on mm-hmm. a single, and we didn't have anything else that we'd done in the studio, so I just had to kind of reach into my archives, and I, that was one of the ones that we didn't do for the record and i just thought we'll throw this on there and that song it was like the sperm cell that got through you know <laughs> because just as that record was about to come out the, the publishing and everything reverted back to me nice you know very good so that was nice and then uh that song came out bet midler recorded it wow did a version of it her hit her song her version was a hit like in a couple places in the world like i think it was top 20 in west germany or something it was yeah. still West Germany back then. That, that's, <laughs> a, that's a check in the mailbox, then. <laughs> yeah, uh, it didn't. You know, it didn't. Uh, it wasn't a hit here, but it did. It did make the charts. But anyway, a, an English guy covered her version of it and had a gigantic hit with it. So that song just kind of, uh, you know, it's one of those things. You just sometimes you kick it out the door and you never know where it's going to go. It's kind of a it turned fan, out nice. You know, yeah, it's kind of like a secret fan favorite too now. Yeah. People still like that one. Let's hear a little bit of it. I gotta seek out that Ben Midler window. <laughs> I know. I, I gotta. Whenever good. anyone tells me, "Oh yeah, that was covered by Tom Jones or whoever," I'm like, "Oh, now I gotta find that." <laughs> the um, so after the uh, after the first album, then um, you get hooked up with Steve Lillywhite. Yeah, who had just uh, he had done the first three U two albums. Was right. War was War out yet when Field Day came yeah, out? War came out while we were in the studio, and it went straight to number one in England. Wow. I remember that really well. It got a bad review in NME, but it went straight to number one. And uh, he'd also done, um, you know, Generals and Majors by XTC, sure. mm-hmm. all this stuff that I loved. And uh, So you're in the studio with him. This U2 album goes number one, and you're like, I- I'm, I'm with the right guy right now. This is a good place to be. I was happy for him, you know, because we'd already kind of really, I, I just gotten to really like him by then. Mm-hmm. That didn't take very long at all for me to get to like him. But yeah. uh, anyway, well, I mean, in the first place, it was extremely dumb of me to do my second album less than a year after my first, but I was just kind of talked into it. That record label again. 
No, it wasn't even them. It was like, I don't know who his idea it was, but it was like, well, let's get another album out really quick. And, uh, you know, I, I did go with the, I, I, get, I went with the flow because, you know, I'm a big 60s music fan. I right. thought, yeah, let's crank this stuff out like they did back in the 60s, you know. So we went in and made that album. And it, again, it wasn't even a whole year after the first one came out. And it just, you know. It started off that way, <laughs> kind of went, and then they, and then there. you, then there's MTV, so you got to make a video. Oh yeah, that's right, we did. Have you ever seen the video that we uh, made for the, whenever you're you, on? You line? fall off a bike, right? Doesn't yep. you, yeah, I fall off a bike. <laughs> you fall off a bike. I dress as a pirate. <laughs> uh, we're pirates at some point, and then we're riding bikes. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming since you didn't like to be dressed up like John Lennon, that putting a pirate hat on you probably didn't make you feel that great. It was weird, but. You know, I, I mean, again, the, the guy who directed it had made a bunch of videos that I really liked, like madness videos. Uh -huh. and, oh, cool. You know, like really, I thought, great, let's go. And we went to England and made it. It had an English producer, an English video. It was kind of, you know. And that was, uh, <laughs> that song was uh, Whenever You're On My Mind. And let's hear a little bit of that. I have uh, field day endures. Maybe the, the timing wasn't right at the time, but it's uh, I have it's fresh. I, I, I know I love uh, the field day album also, yeah. and I have a uh, have a little story about the field day album. Okay, it, it, is it true that you do not care for the cover? I hate the cover. All right, okay. <laughs> it's the worst album cover I've ever seen. <laughs> See, I was looking at it today because I read that you didn't like it, and I was looking at it. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it kind of has like a cool retro vibe to it now. Maybe it didn't in '83. But yeah. now, it, I think it looks kind of cool. That's okay. Great. But um, <laughs> a, a listener of the show, uh, Scott Phillips, he, uh, he recently met you, and he got you to sign Field Day. Mm. And he said while he was waiting for you to sign, he was milling around with the other people waiting for autographs, and he noticed that about 10 or 12 people all had Field Day. Oh, so yeah. he was the first one to get up to you, and he said, uh, I think you're going to get sick of seeing this by the end of the night. And you said to him... I'm sick of it already. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. But he laughed, and uh, I think that's great. Uh, that's the kind of, I don't know if you were being funny. but um, <laughs> No, I hate that cover, but I like the record, you know. But that was just one, you know, one other thing that I got talked into that was just very, very badly misconceived. Is that cover, my, you know, my man, I said, I, I, well, what happened was we finished the record, uh -huh. then... My wife and I went over to London and stayed with Steve for a few days, and he was a really great host. And then we continued, she and I, on to Prague, Czechoslovakia, because my the, my brother's girlfriend at the time was an assistant director on the movie Amadeus, and he was oh, going to wow. go over and visit her. I've heard of that movie. I think I've heard <laughs> yeah. Of that. And when I, you know what? I've still never seen it. I was on, I was on the set a couple of days, but I haven't, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, you'll have to see it. But, uh, <laughs> Netflix that. We... Um, you know, I heard that he was going there, and I said, God, we got to go, you know. And, uh, so the three of us went over to Prague, and then we came back from this vacation, mm -hmm. and I was presented with the artwork for, for my second album, and I just said, are you, are you kidding me, you know? And, <laughs> and then he said, 
well, you know, if you want to change it, it's going to delay the release of the album by two weeks. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, I know. Two weeks. And, we, you know, we had tour dates and yeah. all this other shit. But oh, So I, I should have said, we'll change it. Because, you know, it's here we are 30 years later talking about how god-awful the cover <laughs> is, you know? It's, it's, anyway. it's part of the charm. So what, it's part of the charm. How does it, like, do they, do you, do you know in advance any, uh, what is, what is the concept like when they explain it to you, what they think the album's gonna, cover's going to be like? It's you in front of a school. I guess it's a school, yeah. You know, I wasn't really in front of that building when, it, when <laughs> right. the picture was taken. It was just sort of like a, you know, something a ma- a that somebody threw together. Yeah, that's right. And a, I don't know what to say. I mean, it just didn't work out. The art director was somebody that I thought was great, uh-huh. but I just don't like that cover. Well, I know how that is. I, there's, whenever I see a picture of myself that I don't like, and people go, oh, that's a good picture, and you go, no, nah, I don't, you like don't it. know. What I guess that's all it is. Yeah. I guess it is. It's, it's just, just your personal. personal vanity or whatever. So um, I, was looking on, uh, I was looking on iTunes today because whenever we have a recording artist in, I like to uh, let the, you know, the, the, the listeners know if their music is on iTunes. And what's great is... All your music is on iTunes. I mean, all your albums That's are, true. are on iTunes. And I found something that I didn't even know existed today on iTunes. There's, uh, there's a digital 45 for whenever you're on my mind. And it's got the B-side, Jungle Rock. Oh, my. And that is on there. And let's hear a, a little bit of Jungle Rock. I had never heard this song before. Uh-huh. Here we go. Nice. That's a cover, actually. <laughs> and the original version is a lot better than mine. That's awesome. <laughs> Hank that Mizell, was... Jungle Rock, Hank Mizell. <laughs> Feel that primal beat. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, um, can, I, can I jump in real fast? Boy? Absolutely, be- Gary. Before we get too far away from Amadeus and, uh, sure. and music and stuff, you, you wrote a book, Hollywood Rocks, about uh, music in the movies. Yeah. Will there be a Hollywood Rocks, too? <laughs> that was uh, like 93. Three-ish or something, or is that? I think the, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was awesome. Um, I'm I'm waiting for that. I would read that, but uh, like in the intervening time, any good uh, any good examples of uh, mu- m- movies and music uh, coming together? That uh, who are you, who are you who are you a fan of these days? Who do you like? Uh, who's doing it right? Oh, I, uh, I mean, there have been you know mm-hmm. there have been some really good ones. I'm drawing a blank on being able to name any other. Th- well, you know, this is a uh because of the age that I am I have a real fondness for that thing you do yes absolutely I, you know yes. that's a pretty obvious one to name mm-hmm. but but you know there it, it's it focuses on that kind of like 1965 66 yeah. period of rock which is sort of unique and I have a real thing for that little moment in time and Tom Hanks obviously feels the same because he just he got right inside that whole yeah. thing and totally. captured it perfectly there's even that one scene where they Make that movie appearance as the yeah the shrimp it, shack shooters and that's based <laughs> that's based on a real incident that only real like hardcore fans know about where the Bobby Fuller Four yes. you know did something similar <laughs> yeah. but he, you know when I saw that and I, it just made me understand how deep into the whole thing Tom Hanks obviously is I like I like that one the other thing though is that is it, it, it's more striking to see how often people get it wrong. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. That movie nailed it. I mean, it was perfect. 
and the song you have to like that so you hear that song constantly throughout the movie so, yeah. that song so doesn't it, work it has to be just like a yeah. one-hit wonder you have to love it every time you hear it and it's perfect I yeah. love that song they asked me to submit some stuff to that and it was one of those things where i just made a kind of a half-hearted stab at it and i sent them a really good song but i knew that they weren't going to like it because it had lyrics in it about getting drunk and stuff and it was one that i'd written with kirsty mccall oh wow but so i knew that they weren't going to like it but i just did it anyway but then after that i thought well damn you know i i should have tried because i really <laughs> like that movie you know? so in the if, if from then on i always tried you know <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i thought well you gotta at least try and you did to succeed on uh walk hard you that's have, right yeah wow. that so underrated i don't know why that that doesn't have like cold like anchorman or office space status that movie is so uh, genius. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Walk so Hard good. is great. <laughs> and you also succeeded with a song by the Jim Blossoms that was on the yes. Empire Records soundtrack called Oh Yeah, That's Right. Till I Hear It From You. And here is Till I Hear It From You. I didn't ask. You shouldn't have told me. At first I'd laugh, but now it's sinking in fast. Whatever you've told me. That's a killer song. I never knew you were involved with that. It makes so much sense now. It just, yeah, it really feels yeah, your imprint on it. Well, that was, you know, really a kind of an amazing... Uh, I just, you know, lucked into that in a major way, you know. That's really the best way I can describe it. It's just they already knew that they were going to have that song uh-huh. in the movie, you know. And the the Jesse Valenzuela just asked me to help him finish it, which I did. But, I mean, if, you know, if I hadn't gotten involved, it would have still happened. It would have been a different song, of course, you know, like entirely different. But, you know, they, it was that was... I love it when that happens, you know, like they, I, it was already slotted into the thing and boom, it just was, it was massive, you know, went to number 15 on the billboard charts and it was on the radio for about a year. Yeah. It's a great tune. Still holds up. And, and that, and that movie, I'll, I'll, I'll defend that. I mean, it, it's a less innocent time than, uh, that from the, the thing you do era, but you know, it's still a bygone era when there was record stores. I know. <laughs> you know yeah. It's still, uh, it's still fun to watch. Are you still playing vinyl at your house? Do you have a turntable? Do you have the whole setup? I just got a, a new turntable. It's not, it's a, it's a Thorin's TD-126 made in the 60s. But yeah, I wow. just got it. I still play records, you know. And I've, it, try, I've tried not, I've tried to stop, you know, <laughs> to try to stop uh, acquiring this like, stuff. I have enough. That's, that'll, that'll do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, you're, do you have children? I do. How old are your kids? They're, uh, let's see, they're 10th grade and 8th grade. Oh, and, wow. And when dad pulls out the vinyl, do they think that's cool or are they like, come on, dad? My my daughter's kind of oblivious to it. You know, she loves music, but she's strictly, uh, she. you know, she's, she's uh, doesn't it doesn't really mean anything to her. Right. My, but my son is right there alongside me. He's, he's really into, uh, like, his favorite artist is like lead belly no kidding right wow. wow you know he's that's he's, great yeah he finds things you know <laughs> well that's got to make you proud that lead belly is uh yeah he's musical and uh i mean for a while he liked rush 
that was his favorite group, <laughs> and I never liked them. But then when he like started liking them, then I I, I started liking them too. You look at it a different way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Do. And I took him to see them too, and I actually loved the concert. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. Well, the thing I like about Rush is, uh, even though they they're older, they still play full out. Like they give it, they seem to yeah. give it their all. They play better now. I mean, I saw them in the seventies, and I didn't like. You know, it just wasn't my thing. That's but when they I, were wearing capes and stuff. <laughs> now that they're older guys they play different you know like they the stuff kind of swings now mm-hmm. whereas back in the 70s you know they were always very had that anglophile yeah like gung, 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 very on top of the beat all the time you know <laughs> but anyway i mean not only that i'll say this they just you could see that they just really went to a lot of expense and trouble just just to have people have a great time you know yeah. and nice. and they had this these comedy films that they showed during the thing that were genuinely funny and so it, it just gave me a whole new yeah and that's sense a, about them because a lot of times and i'm not talking about you but a lot of times rock stars don't have a good sense of humor or they have a, <laughs> a sense of humor where they think it's funny but rush really do have a good sense of humor they're canadian okay there you go <laughs> a lot of funny canadians a lot of funny yeah. canadians the home of laughter <laughs> so um uh, we're jumping all over the place here, but you were also in the movie La Bamba. Yeah, you play again. Now, how did you feel about this? You got to pretend you're someone again, Marshall. How's this going to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like the imagination of Hollywood. Like, oh, we need a Buddy Holly who wears glasses. <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously you're a '60s music guy, but you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was cool. It was really fun, and uh, it was we were we were in two movies uh, inside of a 12 month period. So I got a SAG card that's <laughs> come in handy from time to time, you know. That's nice. With health and, getting health insurance and stuff. Nice. Uh, yeah, I know actors out here that don't have a SAG card. And here we got a, a musician <laughs> from Detroit. Yeah. Comes was, into our territory and stealing <laughs> our SAG card. How many, uh, how many days did you do on La Bamba? How many days work was that? La Bamba wasn't that many days. That was only maybe three days. The other movie that, I was, that we were in, Peggy Sue Got Married, yeah, we, yeah. we were on the set forever. On that one, and we were just like almost like bits of scenery, just up there on stage as a as a band at a high school class reunion. But Francis Coppola was the director, and, yeah. he, and he just he just took really, you know, he really took his time filming that scene. So we were there for a long time, but it was great fun, you know. It was Any like, good uh, Nick Cage interactions on that one? You know, well, I mean, I did talk to him a little bit, not much, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this: when I saw him. You know, doing the scenes, right. I thought, he's ruining the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really what I thought. But now when I watch the movie, his, his, he's the, like my favorite thing in it, you know. There's that crazy voice. It's awesome. Yeah, like, it was, it's so funny that he d- decided to do it that way. I wonder if, if you, his uncle wasn't directing, if he would have been allowed to do that voice. I remember reading his uh, interview where he said, I told Francis, I want to talk like Pokey. <laughs> From Gummy and Pokey. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Yeah, that's great. So on La Bamba, you get the call sheet and you see that you're filming the plane sequence. That's when you know, oh, I guess this is my last day of shooting. <laughs> we did it here in L.A. That's the funny part. You wow. know, it was supposed to be wintertime, but it was, you know, 80 degrees outside at, at <laughs> 10 o'clock at night and, you know, fake snow. And we're supposed to pretend we're cold. They, the, you know, the actors did a really good job of pretending that they were cold and that they were sick from the cold and stuff like that. I, I don't know what I did, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was fun. A lot of it was improv. 
a lot of the stuff that I say when we're getting on the plane, all that's just all off the top of my head while I'm doing it. And then the thing where I swat them with my gloves, that's that was just spontaneous. <laughs> I so, thought it was a little uh, much when they said, I hope the plane doesn't crash. And you said, that'll be the day. I thought, come on, that's a little... Did I say that? No, you didn't. I'm, just I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm like, doesn't somebody say that, though? Maybe. Oh, maybe oh, maybe well, they do. Maybe they do. So in the song, uh, the, the song that you sang on the uh, soundtrack of La Bamba was Crying, Waiting, Hoping. Crying, of a stud was Buddy Holly like he recorded these uh, I know like 40 perfect songs in uh, 18 months or whatever like yeah. his career was that was uh, I know was, that's incredible yeah, too much <laughs> but uh, you're you're obviously a big rock fan and you have your own radio show oh uh, yeah you want to plug that that's great I yeah, do, I do yeah. a radio show <laughs> I think there would be a lot of crossover between this show and that show I think people who like this show would be interested in uh, absolutely bottomless pit yeah what, perhaps you what know. Uh, goes on there it's on WFUV in New York, and it's on Saturday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right after Vince Skelza. When they told me, nice. that, that it, yeah, when they told me I was going to be on after Vince Skelza, I was jazzed, you know, because uh, he does go on a little, Vin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does, but that's okay. Yeah, I love him. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, my show is just an hour. You know, it's kind of short and sweet, and it's all. I just play stuff from my record collection. Do you record that at your house? Yep, I do. I record it out in the barn, stick it in the Dropbox. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's big archives on the uh, WFUV uh, page, and hopefully, yeah, we'll get it on uh, iTunes or something like that one of these times. Or I'm working on uh, satellite radio. trying to get it syndicated, That'd actually. Be, it seems like a natural thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I'm, making, I'm getting encouraging signs about that. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you posted here on Roxell, but yeah, check out Bottomless Pit. So I want to buzz through a couple more uh, the the producers you've been you've gotten to work with over your career T Bone Burnett yeah on the Downtown record Don Dixon on Mary Jean and nine others I know it's an illustrious list and then Ed Stasium <laughs> oh yeah Ed Stasium definitely that was my last major label record that was and and that was kind of it seemed like you were they really wanted you to rock it up a little bit that one seems you know Ed Stasium, and you have Kenny Aronoff on drums. Yeah, but you know what? That was the second album of mine that Kenny had played on. He had, he played on my last Warner Brothers album. Oh, good, also. he was on Good Evening. Yeah, on Good Evening it was Kenny and Graham maybe on bass, mm-hmm. and then I brought in Sonny Landreth. I was a still a huge fan of Sonny Landreth to play slide guitar because I don't play slide guitar. But I just uh, anyway that was the band on that one, and then the next Life's Too Short was. Uh, Kenny and Fernando Saunders, and I think I played everything else. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you about Good Evening. That was your last album for Warner Brothers. And I remember when, when that album came out and I opened it up and I was looking at the liner notes and I noticed that only five of the ten songs <laughs> were Marshall Crenshaw compositions. Yeah, yeah, and I was definitely. like, well, that doesn't seem right. No, it so wasn't right. It was not right. And, there, and, and at, at that time, like 88 through 92... Every album I bought had a Diane Warren song on there. <laughs> I know, and, isn't that and funny? I never thought there'd be a Diane Warren song on a on a Marshall Crenshaw album. But that wasn't me. I didn't do that. 
<laughs> I didn't even know who she was at the time, honestly. But somebody, Kenny, ran into her. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, as you might imagine, it was like, well, I'll tell you the truth. I, I actually begged to get off of Warner Brothers Records after my second album. And they just wouldn't do it. You know, they made me stay for the rest of the contract. And that was the last album in the contract. And I, and I didn't want to do that either. But my accountant said, look, go make that record because, you know, so I did. And <laughs> I'm sorry to, to tell you that. I mean, I always tried the, and gave the, whatever I had at the time. But I was, I was very worn out by then. Yeah. My mind was just really worn out. And uh, that's why, you know, I only wrote a few songs. I was just tired of the grind with them, you know, and go through the same thing with them over and over again. Was it one of those things where, you know, you hear about this all the time when behind the music and in, in, you know, rock autobiographies when they say, uh, yeah, the, the record company was looking for hits. So they brought in all these outside songwriters to try to, you know what though, that really didn't happen. No, okay, cool. I got the John Hyatt song that I did from bug music and I, and I I mean, it's a great song and I think I'm the only, I think I'm the only one who's ever done it. So that was fine. I can't complain about that. That's someplace where love can't find me. Yeah, that's really good. And then the Diane Warren thing was, you know, we, we would just go in the studio every day and I'd be like, I don't know. You know, I didn't really have much, you know, and, uh, we just tried this, tried that. We did a Bobby Fuller four song, and then Kenny came in one day and he said, I ran into Diane Warren last night. And, you know, I did, the name didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. But he, he had a cassette and uh, I played it. I liked it. I thought it was really good. I said, yeah, we can do something with this. And uh, so we made that track. I changed the lyrics a little bit, which made her very angry. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. People had done the same kind of thing to me in the past where they added half a verse to one of my songs. Like Bette Midler did that when she recorded You're My Favorite Waste of Time. So I did take some liberties with Diane. I didn't know that, you know, it was a sacred text that I wasn't allowed to tamper with, you know. But anyway, that, that's the way that went. And then I was out of there. I was no more, no longer on Warner Brothers. They asked me to stay. They wanted to, somebody wanted me to stay so they could work the single. But I just said, no, I, I don't want to be here anymore. So that, that was how that went. All right. Did um, Now, if someone takes liberties with your lyrics, how do you feel? Do you feel... Like they Diane, like like Diane Warren did. I don't let people do it. Okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I now you know I understand where she was coming from. Really, I was making jokes about it, but anyway. <laughs> so, um, you've done a couple cool covers too that I really like. You did it. You did an ABBA song on your li- on one of your live albums. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna play a little bit of that because I, I I really really think this is a cool, uh, awesome, cool and unexpected. No more. Too bad. 
That's really good. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that is amazing. <laughs> been a long time. <laughs> All the Swedish angst, but wrapped up in the sweet. And then, how does this come about for the album uh, What's in the Bag? You decide to do a Prince song. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I like that too. That's that, a really that's good, a great song. Good version of, of the Prince tune. And do you? Uh, but is that? I mean, does someone say, "Hey, you should do a Prince song"? Do you just say, "I want to do that song"? Yeah, nobody tells me what to do. Not anymore. Not, <laughs> no, since, not, not anymore. since that Warner not ever, Brothers. Really, you know, except ever uh, except for that someday, some way thing I mentioned earlier. But, uh, <laughs> but that, that panned out okay. That was it. It, it did. Yeah. Well, let's hear a little bit of uh, the <clears throat> Prince's "Take Me With You." Awesome. Your eyes, what can I say? They turn me on And I don't care where we go Don't care what we do I don't care, pretty baby Just take me with me It's fantastic. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. I love that. Man. So when you, um, when, you go, uh, when you go on to Razor and Tie Records, uh-huh. To do uh, Miracle of Science and four four seven, is it a is a, is it a much more freeing experience there than it is at the big label? Yeah, it was. It was back to um, you know pretty much total autonomy for me, and I did most of those records just you know on my own gear, mm-hmm. and I, you know that was good. I, I, I was happy about that because um, it was. Uh, I, I really wanted. You know, I, I wanted to get out of the major label thing. It was always really absurd to me in various ways. Just the, I remember when we went to do our first album, they would change all the heads on the drum set every day, <clears throat> take the drum heads off, throw them away. And and sometimes they'd change the snare head maybe four or five times during the a day. You know what I mean? And I just, I just thought, and also a lot of sitting around, I had to get with the with the work pace of the producer and the engineers, and I just I just wanted to get in there and play, and uh, you know it was it was a real adjustment, and I just thought this is there was many things about it that struck me as wasteful, you know. Is that and, like a hospital thing where they charge you like eight dollars for an aspirin or something? They just keep changing drum heads, <laughs> changing just the to, drum heads. Yeah, that just well, it was. Seem... They did approach it like brain surgery, <laughs> making a rock record, you know, and I just thought. This, yeah. I don't get it, you know. Yeah, so I was glad to be away from all that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, had, I had a big belly full of it, you know. Sure. <clears throat> because I remember when, uh, because Life's Too Short was in 1991, and then Miracle of Science didn't come out till 96. And I remember, you know, as a fan, you're like, where's Marshall Crenshaw? Huh? You know, where's that? And then and then when Miracle of Science came out, that was just an amazing record. And I love the, the cover, the little, I don't even know how yeah. to explain it. Your face is in the middle, and it's got like a... What's around that? It's like a starburst around your head, or but it's in black and white. Yeah, that guy was. Um, well, he's he's really worthy, you know. Stefan Sagmeister is his name, and wow. he's you know he's an artist, you know. And uh, so yeah, I was lucky to cross paths with him. That was cool. And then um, and then your last. Now, are you ever going to make a full album again? Or are you just? Is it going to be? Songs here and there whenever you feel like doing it. I, I like this project I'm doing now. Right. I, you know, I should never say never, but I mean, I'm getting old. You know, I'm almost 60 years old. I have no idea how long, much longer I'm going to be doing anything. <laughs> you know? But uh, on the other hand, I've been doing it a long time. Well, you, you do not look 60 years old, guy. Does he look, not he does not look 60? Oh, well. And we're not just... I moisturize. <laughs> That's a secret. I mean, we're, we're almost done with this, so why would we kiss your ass now? <laughs> but uh, your, last, uh, your last album, your last full release, 
was yeah. Jagged Land. Jagged Land. And yeah. um, a good experience with that album? Yeah, that was a good one to go out on because I, I got to do it exactly how I wanted to do it, you know, and uh, I consider myself lucky to have worked with the people who worked with me on that record, like Jim Keltner, Greg Lee's, uh you know, Wayne Kramer from the MC5. Nice. Um, the engineer on most of it was a guy named Jerry Boys who uh, started his career at Abbey Road. He was one of the tape ops on the Ticket to Ride sessions with the Beatles. Jeez. He, uh, his name is on thousands of records. Wow. And uh, he came on board and helped me make that one. And that was a gas, it, all of it. That's what I used to love about vinyl. Like you would open up and you would you would see these names that like I'd, I'd seen before, and I would go and try to find the other albums they were on, and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. such a blast. That's I miss the vinyl for that reason. I miss the big packaging. Uh, I want to play. Uh, I want to play a little song from uh, Jagged Land. I also want to tell the listeners that I actually have uh, four copies of Jagged Land that we're going to give away, and uh, maybe we'll get Marshall if oh, you would boy. sign those. That would be cool. Uh, yeah, I'll do. I'll sign Jagged Land. <laughs> <laughs> Stand by it, endorse it. And, uh, you named one of the ones that I will sign. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, this is a song from Jagged Land called "Right on Time." I had a strange dream one time. There was you, Bobby Vinton, and me in a hotel ballroom full of marble and mahogany. Somebody shouted, "Let the joy be." Now, Marshall, you were wincing there a little bit. What uh, I don't know if you were. I was were... kind of laughing at the lyrics. You know, this is that's dramatic. They're strange, that's but nice. that's that's like a description of a real dream that I had. Oh, okay. But Bobby so, Vinton was in your dream. I swear to God, yeah. <laughs> what was he doing? I got to know what he's doing in that dream. I was just. It was me and this guy who's still one of my best friends. His name's Jeffrey Osborne, not the singer, but not uh, on the wings of love. Not him, no. But Jeffrey Osborne was my agent for years, mm-hmm. and uh, I had this dream where we were walking through this place and it was a kind of a show business function bobby vinton was there <laughs> uh, you know i mean it was a really absurd crazy dream but it was one of those ones where you want to applaud when you wake up because you know sometimes you get really funny hilarious good ones. job subconscious yeah, dreams are, i had a dream the other night a guy from college that i wasn't even really friends with that i haven't thought about since college his name's larry williams I had a dream that he's trying to break into our house. <laughs> and I kept waking up like every 45 minutes because I thought Larry Williams is trying to break into my house. I think that means you're gay. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's what all the dreams are. I don't know. I know I kept my wife up all night long. <laughs> Not in a good way. But uh, Marshall, this has, been, uh, this has been wonderful to have you here. Thank uh, you if, so much if, for coming. Thank you for our, all the music. Oh, uh, boy. If, oh, you, no. if we ever cross paths again in the studio... I hope you uh, bring your guitar with you mm. and favor us with 
whatever you want to favor us with. Sure, sure, sure. I hope I hope it happens. That's, and um, that's cool. even if it's Jimmy, Jimmy Vivino's guitar, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, yeah. And are you going to be playing your way back east? Where are you going to be in a couple weeks in case uh, somebody wants to? Uh, well, this thing with Dave Alvin goes mm-hmm. up the west coast, mm-hmm. and it's um you know just a bunch of dates, maybe eight or nine between here and Vancouver. I could. Uh, I'd have to consult my itinerary to tell you exactly where we're going to be. <laughs> Go Sunday, to MarshallCrenshaw.com. dot com. I'm sure it's yep, on there. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, uh, check that out on the West Coast. All the music is available on iTunes. And the EP series. Where can we? Where can people get that? They can find your, out about that on my website, which is www.marshallcrenshaw dot Two L's. You know, one word. MarshallCrenshaw.com. dot <laughs> com. And it's all there, you know, right there. And there's even a, there's a video for I don't see you laughing now, which is very nice. It was made by pal of mine named Ron Spencer and his crew in Santa Fe. Uh, so that's all on my website. Excellent. And then uh, and can I ask you, Will, is, is Marianne in the set list right now for this Dave Alvin tour? It's not. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Spoiler. All right. But when I play with the I – pl- I tour a lot with this band called the Bottle Rockets. Sure. I'm, we haven't gotten out here yet, but we've done, we've done about 40 dates together, and I play Marianne when I play with them. Okay. Well, at the Troubadour this week, when, when you hear a guy keep yelling out Marianne, just <laughs> say into your mic, say, shut up, Pat. We're not doing it. Okay. Like I told you two days ago, we're not doing it. Shocking uh, revelations. Uh, Marshall Crenshaw, big Rush fan. Yeah. And a moisturizer. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Both of those things will keep you young. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so, Marshall, thanks a lot. Good luck with the tour with Dave Alvin. And uh, we look forward to... Uh, Hearing from you and seeing you again. And if you want to uh, win one of those EPs, um, please write a review on iTunes. Actually, it's not the EP. It's the uh, oh, it's the album it's of the Jagged, uh, Jagged Land, Jagged the full-length CD. It's awesome. Just, write a review on iTunes. Yep, uh, write a nice review, solid. and then Gary will decide which reviews were the nicest. I'm the decider. And then he will uh, he will dole those out to you. So uh, thanks a lot, Matt, for producing. Sure. Thank you, Matt. Gary, Pat, Thank, thanks, Marshall. Man. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Television.